Genesis chapter 40 is the sermon text today. We will read it first, and then we will turn to Philippians chapter 2 and read verses 1 through 11 for the New Testament reading. Hear now the word of the Lord. Genesis 40, verse 1. Some time after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have dreamed dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit." When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days, and three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Let's turn now to the New Testament And read from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Here Paul, the apostle, writes to the church in Philippi, saying, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant." 
being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and have bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So far the reading of God's holy word. May He bless the preaching of it on this Lord's day. Brothers and sisters, we now return to the story of Joseph. And as we do, I think it would be good for us to remember where Joseph has been. Remember that Joseph was the favored son in his father's house. He was thrown into a pit and left for dead by his own brothers who were envious of him. And after realizing that they could make a profit by selling Joseph into slavery, they did. He was taken by Ishmaelite traders down into Egypt, and he was sold to Potiphar, who was a high-ranking official, the captain of the guard. And while a slave in Potiphar's house, Joseph was blessed by the Lord. In due time, he rose to a position of power within Potiphar's house. In 39.4, we read that Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. But trouble arose when Potiphar's wife took no notice of Joseph. He was a successful and skilled man. He was handsome in form and appearance, the scriptures say, and she desired to lay with him. And when he refused to sin in this way out of his love for God and man, she grew envious and falsely accused him of assault. Potiphar was enraged and Joseph was sent to prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. That is Genesis 39.20. In 39.21 we read, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. It is here that our passage for today picks up. Joseph is in prison, but he has been blessed by the Lord there. Much like in the house of Potiphar, Joseph had charge over everything in that place. Notice, therefore, the trajectory of the pattern, and the quality of Joseph's life thus far. Considered from a merely human perspective, the trajectory of Joseph's life to this point was downward. He had been brought down uh, to a very low point. You do need to try to identify with Joseph and to put yourself in his shoes. Not only was he enslaved in Egypt, but now he had been imprisoned. But notice the pattern. Joseph remained faithful in every circumstance. This must have been difficult. He must have struggled. There must have been dark days in Joseph's experience. But he remained faithful in every circumstance. Faithful to the Lord. Faithful even to those around him. And notice the quality of Joseph's life up to this point. Though the circumstances were very trying and difficult, Joseph was blessed of the Lord. In each and every situation that he found himself in, he was blessed of the Lord. And it is no wonder that many students of the Bible have been moved to compare the life of Joseph with the life of Christ. I've said it before in this series that Joseph was a type of Christ. 
And when I say that Joseph was a type of Christ, I mean that though he was not, in fact, the Christ, his life functioned as a preview of the life of Christ. When we look at the life of Joseph, we see that there is there in him a little miniature version of the life of Christ. Consider the trajectory, pattern, and quality of Jesus' life and compare it to Joseph's. Consider, considered from a merely human perspe- perspective, the trajectory of Jesus' life was at first downward. He, being the eternal Son of God, the favored one in His Father's house, if you will, took on the weakness of human flesh. He was mistreated and betrayed. He suffered to the point of death, even death on a cross. But Christ remained faithful in every circumstance. He lived to do uh, the Father's will. And we know that the Lord blessed Him. Of course, there will be an upward swing of exaltation that will occur in Joseph's life. And this also typifies the upward swing of exaltation in the life of Christ. After his death and burial, he was raised and he ascended to the Father's right hand. But we are not there yet in the story of Joseph, are we? We are still considering Joseph's humiliation. And as we consider this narrative today, I'd like to look at it in three ways. One, I wish to consider how Joseph behaved in his humiliation Two, I wish to consider how the life of Joseph prefigured the life of Christ. And three, I wish to consider how Joseph might serve as an example to us, especially in times of difficulty. We will notice three things about Joseph. One, in his humiliation, he cared for others. Two, in his humiliation, he revealed God's will. And three, in his humiliation, he was forsaken by men. And so consider, first of all, that in his humiliation, Joseph cared for others. This we see in verses 1 through 8. In verse 1, we read, sometime after this. Now, we do not know how long Joseph had been in prison before the events that are described to us in this chapter transpired. But I think it is worth noting that Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery by his brothers. And he was 30 years old when he was raised to power by Pharaoh. So for 13 years, Joseph was either a slave in Potiphar's house or imprisoned. Joseph had his prime years stolen away from him, therefore. And I want you to recognize that circumstances like this can cause people to grow bitter towards God and man. But not so with Joseph. Joseph's faith remained strong and his heart soft to God and man as we will see as the story unfolds. Now, I think it would be naive to think that Joseph did not struggle during those 13 years. I'm sure that he wept. I'm sure that there were nights where he cried himself to sleep. I assume that he experienced times of great darkness and despair. But as we consider the whole of his life, we see that he persevered in the faith and waited upon the Lord to exalt him in due time. I think we could learn a lot from Joseph in this regard. That even in times of great difficulty, we should not lose heart. We should not allow our hearts to grow hard with bitterness towards God or others. But we should cling to the Lord and trust in Him to in due time exalt us. This is also what Christ did. And this is what you and I are called to do. We are to, and here I quote from 1 Peter 5, 6, "...humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time..." He may exalt us, casting all our anxieties upon Him, for He cares for us. 
Sometime after Joseph was thrown into prison, uh, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. Now, it is a mistake to assume that these men merely held a cup and baked for the Pharaoh. Though this they certainly did. They were in fact high-ranking and trusted officials of Pharaoh. We are told, we, we are not told what they did to anger Pharaoh, but the text makes it clear that they did commit an offense or sin against their Lord. So unlike Joseph, they deserved to be in prison. Joseph was falsely accused, remember. He did nothing to offend his Lord, and yet he was thrown into prison. But these two, the cupbearer and the baker, were thrown into prison, deserving it, for they did sin against their Lord. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody, we are told. Now, one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation, we are told. Dreams were very important to the Egyptians. In their view, it was through dreams that they had contact with the spirit world. There was an entire class of men in Egypt whose job it was to interpret dreams. We will hear of them in chapter 41. After the Pharaoh himself had dreamed a dream, he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men for an interpretation. The NET translation calls these men diviner priests and wise men, which I think is more helpful, for that is what they were. They were diviner priests. Now, the Christian view of dreams is quite different. We know that in times past, God spoke to His prophets and apostles, sometimes through dreams, but that that mode of revelation has now ceased, given that the Christ has come. This is what Hebrews 1.1 speaks to. When it says that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Now I do not doubt that the Lord may use dreams to encourage the people of God today. But He does not reveal Himself and His will for man through dreams today as He did in ages past, for the Christ has come. In times past, He spoke through the prophets, but now He has spoken supremely through His Son, and we have His Word available to us today. We look to the Holy Scriptures to know what is true and what is God's will for His people. In other words, this passage that we are considering today about dreams and the interpretation of dreams should not lead the Christian to seek to know the will of God or the Word of God through dreams. To do so is to ignore the progress that has been made in the history of redemption. To view dreams as a current source of revelation is to ignore what the New Testament says, that God spoke through the prophets in ages past and has spoken supremely through His Son. The New Covenant Church of God is rep repeatedly encouraged in the New Testament to look to the Word of God, previously revealed and now inscripturated to know God's will for us. Uh, this is our source for truth. Now with that said, 
It is not difficult to understand why the chief cupbearer and chief baker were troubled by the dreams that they dreamed. They had both experienced something traumatic when they were thrown into prison by the Pharaoh. They must have been terribly afraid at what would happen to them. They did not know. And they both dreamed dreams on the same night, and as we will see, the dreams were similar. I'm sure they woke up in the morning, they began to share their experience with one another, and they began to think, this must be significant and meaningful, for we both dreamed these strange dreams. They have to do with our positions and our circumstances, and they are similar. And finally, we must see that they did not have access to the diviner priests and wise men of Egypt who, in their minds, could interpret the dreams for them, for they were confined in prison. In verse 6, we read that when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. He could see it on their faces. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? And I hope here at this point you are able to see why I have made the point that in his humiliation, Joseph cared for others. Even in his extreme hardship, we see that Joseph was a true servant. And it seems to me that he did not just go through the motions of his servanthood, but he truly cared for others. He arose in the morning and he went about his task of serving these officers of Pharaoh and he noticed that their faces were downcast. And he cared for them enough to say, Why are your faces downcast this day? Joseph was a wonderful servant to Potiphar. And when he had opportunity to sin against him to please himself, he would not do it. He refused to sin against his master and God. And as he served within the prison, he truly cared for those whom he served, even saying, Why are your faces downcast today? Friends, I am wanting you to see that this is also the way that Christ lived. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many, Matthew 20, 28. Though He was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Again, Philippians 2, 5-8. And I am saying to you that this also is to be the way of the Christian In that same Philippians passage that was just read, Paul commands us, saying, Christian, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then later he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, Christian, live like Christ lived. He humbled himself and he lived the life of a servant continuously. He wasn't concerned about his own interests. He wasn't supremely concerned with meeting his own desires. But he looked out and had eyes to please others, eyes to serve others always. In other words, Christian, you are to have the servant-hearted attitude that Jesus had. You are to have the servant-hearted attitude that Joseph had. And brothers and sisters, this servant-hearted attitude is to be ours always. We should have the mindset of Christ day by day. It is to be in us when things are going very well. And it is also to be within us when things are going very poorly for us. We are to have the mindset of a servant. I'm, I'm afraid that many assume that when things get difficult, 
It is time for them to be served rather than to serve. Have you ever experienced this? Everything around you is falling apart. Your circumstances are poor. Life is difficult in this moment. It is so easy for us in that moment to fold in upon ourselves and to think, certainly I'm not to serve others now. Life is difficult and bad for me. Certainly it is time for me to be served It is easy for us uh, to make this error, I think. And it is no wonder that people think this way, for there is some truth in it. There are times for mourning. There are times when because of sickness or injury, the service of others is needed. And I'm not intending here to undermine that obvious truth, but here I am addressing the tendency that some have to sulk in their sorrow. Or to grow self-centered in their grief. It is very easy for us to do this. When the circumstances of life are difficult, brothers and sisters, you can choose to respond in one of two ways. You can feel sorry for yourself. You can begin to complain against God and assume that everyone around you should be your servant. Or you can choose to be thankful to God. To give glory to Him, even for the hardship, and to serve those around you, even still, remembering that others are hurting too, all around you. And that Christ served in His humiliation. This this second way is to be the Christian way. God will be glorified in this. And it will be a blessing to you and those around you as well. I think Joseph is to be admired for the way he responded to the terrible circumstances that came upon him. He kept the faith. He honored God. He served others, even in his difficult circumstances, even in his humiliation. Secondly, see that Joseph in his humiliation revealed God's will. After Joseph inquired concerning the downcast faces of the cupbearer and chief baker, they said to him, We have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. Genesis 48. Again, these men knew that there was something significant about their dreams, but they were discouraged because they did not have access to the diviner priests and the wise men of Egypt, whom they believed had the sole ability to interpret their dreams. And I want you to notice that Joseph's response to them was very bold. He said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. And in saying this, Joseph challenged the trust that these men had placed in their diviner priests and wise men. He also asserted that God alone had the ability to reveal truth to men. The God that Joseph referred to here was his God. The God of the Hebrews and not the gods of the Egyptians. This was a very bold witness that Joseph put before these men. And does this not show that Joseph was a faithful witness while even in captivity? Remember that that he had told Potiphar's wife that he would not lay with her because to do so would be to sin against God. That was a bold statement. I will not do this thing because for me to do this would mean for me to sin against God, my God, the God of the Hebrews. God Almighty. And here he gives glory to God when he testifies before these men that it is his God, the God of the Hebrews, and not the false gods of the Egyptians, who is able to reveal truth to men and to provide the interpretation of their dreams. We see that these men were desperate. They had no one else to turn to. And so they told their dreams to Joseph. First, the chief cupbearer described his dream to Joseph, saying, So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. 
Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph, being illuminated by God, provided the interpretation, it seems, almost immediately, saying, This is the interpretation. The three branches are three days, and three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. So confident was Joseph that this would happen, that he made a request of the cupbearer, saying, Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me this kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. And here is how he summarizes his story, saying, For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. Notice the use of the word pit here. I think this is significant. Uh, Joseph, this is how he thought of it, was thrown into a pit by his brothers, and he has been thrown into a pit again. Indeed, Joseph's life was on a downward trajectory, human speaking. Again, it should be remembered that the cupbearer was more than a cup holder for the king. He was a trusted advisor. And so Joseph knew that once he was restored, he would have the ability to vouch for Joseph before the pharaoh. Now the chief baker was understandably encouraged by the favorable interpretation given to the cupbearer. He at first remained quiet, but after hearing the good news that was delivered to the cupbearer, he said, I've had a dream as well. And he described it. It's similar. There were three cake baskets on my head, he said. And in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. Excuse me. And Joseph, again, being illuminated by God, again provided an interpretation. This time the news was not encouraging to the recipient. It's actually quite gruesome. He said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets, again, are three days, and in three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you, off of you, and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. And Joseph was proven to be a true prophet, and not a false prophet, When on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants, he restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. I have noted that Joseph, in his humiliation, revealed God's will. In other words, he functioned as a prophet of God there in that prison and in his humiliation. Here we have yet another way in which Joseph was a type of Christ. Joseph was a prophet, whereas Jesus was the prophet of God, the eternal Word of God come in human form. Joseph in his humiliation revealed God's will, and Jesus in his humiliation revealed God to man. This is what John 1, 1 14 and 18 speaks to, saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. Jesus, in His humiliation, revealed God to man. Jesus the Christ was the pinnacle of God's revelatory activity. He was and is the eternal Word of God come in human form. It was by the Word that God created the world, 
It was by the word that God spoke to the prophets of old. And it was this word, the second subsistence or person of the triune God that took on humanity in order to redeem humanity and to reveal God to us. Again, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made Him known, referring to Jesus the Christ. As I turn now to make application for us from this point, I think you could understand why I cannot say you also are to reveal God's will as Joseph and Christ did. I cannot say that to you, for Joseph was a prophet, and Christ was the eternal Word of God come in the flesh, and you and I are not those things. We do not have the ability to reveal God to man, to reveal His will in this prophetic way. But I can ask you this question, are you looking to Christ and to His Word to know what is true? Are you looking to Christ and His Word to know how it is that you are to live in this world? Are you doing what James exhorts us to do, saying, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls? That is what we are to do. We do not have the capacity to reveal God's Word as the prophets did and as Christ did. But we instead are to submit to that word already given. We are to receive with meekness this implanted word which is able to save our souls. It is no secret that uh, the non-believer does not submit to God's word in this way. They look many other places in their search for truth. They have many other things as their source of authority. They look to their unaided human reason. They look to their feelings. They look to their preference. They look to religious leaders of all kinds. Perhaps they even look to their dreams to know God's will. But it is deeply concerning when one who professes faith in Christ looks to something other than God and His Word as their authority for truth. Friends, the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the Word of God, and they are the only certain rule of faith and obedience. This Baptist Catechism question and answer four. So look to the Scriptures, friends, to know what is true. Ask God to give you wisdom to apply the Scriptures to your individual circumstances. Surround yourself with wise and godly counselors to help to know which way you are to go in this life. The second point of application from this point is this, though I cannot say to you, reveal the Word of God, I can say, proclaim it. Do not neglect to proclaim the truths of God already revealed in both good times and in bad. I ask you this, could it be, Christian, that the Lord has willed for you to reside in some unpleasant circumstance so that you might testify to Christ there? That is what Joseph did. He was a prophet and we are not. We cannot relate in that way. But what do we see? We see Joseph testifying to his God in the difficult circumstances that he found himself in. He testified to God there before Potiphar's wife who tempted him to sin. And here he points the cupbearer and the baker to God, to his God, to the God of the Hebrews, the one and only true God. Is it not God who can give the interpretation, he asked them. And so we are to be like Joseph in this regard. We are to testify to Christ even in our humiliation. Thirdly and lastly, see that in his humiliation, Joseph was forsaken by men. 
Remember that Joseph made a request to the cupbearer that when he was restored to his position that he remember him. He said, Please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. But after the baker was executed and the cupbearer restored in fulfillment to the dreams and to the interpretation, verse 23, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. He forgot him. I wonder why he forgot him. I do not think that he just forgot about him, but he did not remember him to bring him up to Pharaoh. Perhaps it was out of fear. He had already been in trouble with Pharaoh, remember. It would have taken great courage to say to Pharaoh, Hey, there's this Hebrew in the pit, in the prison. Perhaps you should let him out. He did not do it. He didn't say a word, but left him in this place. This must have felt terrible to Joseph. Again, I think it is right for us to put ourselves in his position and to imagine what this must have felt like, what this experience must have been like. It is when we do that that we might be able to transfer this to our own lives and to make application. Certainly, Joseph must have struggled with feelings of betrayal and abandonment throughout the season of his life. His own brothers abandoned him, remember. That must have felt awful. His master, Potiphar, Abandon him. That must have been very discouraging to have been falsely accused in this way and to see the master that once looked upon you favorably, to look upon you with rage in his eyes and to cast you out. The cupbearer to whom he showed this kindness abandoned him. And I do wonder if Joseph did not from time to time feel as if God had abandoned him in the pit. It is no secret that Christ Jesus our Lord also knew what it was to be rejected and abandoned by man. He was hated and eventually crucified by his own people, remember. One of his own disciples betrayed him near the end. And in his hour of greatest difficulty, most of his beloved disciples fled away from him and left him all alone. Indeed, on that cross, Christ in his humanity even felt as if God the Father had forsaken him. He cried out saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt very lonely in that moment, as if all had abandoned him. Of course, God did not abandon Joseph, but was with him in the pit and would raise him up in due time. We know the rest of the story. And neither did God abandon the Christ. In fact, this is what Psalm 1610 prophesies concerning him and what the book of Acts says came true. He did not abandon his soul to Sheol or let his Holy One see corruption. In due time, Christ was raised up, and He was raised up to glory. And friends, if you belong to the Father through faith in Christ, neither will He abandon you. For He has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Hebrews 13.5 Brothers and sisters, I wish to read from 1 Peter 5, 6-11 by way of conclusion. <clears throat> Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, 
strengthen and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, help us to take this story that we have heard today and to see how it pertains to us. I know that my brothers and sisters in Christ have experienced hardship. Some might even say that they are suffering now. And God, if that is the case, I pray that they would look to Joseph and especially to Christ and to see that they are to walk faithfully with you, that they are to testify to you, that they are to serve even in their humiliation, and that you are with them always to the end of time. Lord, even if they do not feel it in this hour, even if they have not felt it for some time, I pray that they would know it is true that you are with them, for your word says so, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Father, be especially close to those who are in a period of suffering now. We do pray that you would sustain them, O Lord. And for those, Lord, who are experiencing prosperity now, who are experiencing good days, I pray that they too would be faithful to you, that they would serve in their prosperity, uh, that they would be like Christ in this regard, that they would look out not for their own interests, but for the interests of others. Lord, help us all to live this way, to cling to Christ and to enjoy your presence, O Lord. Father, help us to be faithful servants of yours in this world until you come or call us home. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.